At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Exciting is it that we get to have parent-child dedication? Isn't it so much fun, church? Isn't it so great? I'm so I'm just so pleased that we get to be here for moments like this. So as everybody is coming back to their seats, uh, I just have a, a few things to, to mention right away. Uh, you know, I love that we get to have these families up here because you're going to remember this day. Uh, you know, this Sunday, June the 20th, on 2021, when kids start to grow up, and you're going to say, "Oh, I remember when you were dedicated. I've been praying for you since this." day. It's almost like, you know, the, the origin story of a before and after story. We're getting started with these before and after stories, and we love before and after stories, don't we, right? Like, and I think about, like, with, uh, you know, these silly TV shows like America's Got Talent or American Idol or we haven't had cable in, like, a decade. Is VH1 still a channel? Does anyone, okay, great. Right, so, like, behind the music and stuff like that. We love to see how these uh, relatively obscure figures, like how they got here, and then maybe after they were famous, what happened. We love to know, like, the depth of the story in kind of like these rags-to-riches stories, right? We're like, how could this seemingly normal person make it to this meteoric rise in fame or talent or skill or whatever the case might be? And, you know, we really like those stories. Advertisers know we like those stories, right? So they continue to feed them to us. But there's another before and after story that is perhaps even more common than the rags-to-riches story and one that we have a markedly lower appetite for, and that is a riches-to-rags story. I think each and every one of us, if I were to uh, say to you, hey, do you know anybody who once looked like they had it all together but somehow has fallen away? Everybody could probably source one name. You know, I think of just like uh, global entertainers like Michael Jackson, Judy Garland, Marvin Gaye, Joe DiMaggio, that they were like on top of the world at the peak of their career. Career, but at the end of all of their lives, they had descended into ruin, whether financial, moral, familial, whatever the case might be. And today, as we continue in our series going through the book of Lamentations, that is exactly what the poet Jeremiah is leading us into. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Lamentations chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, the words will be on the screen behind me. Uh, and for everybody back there, uh, I sat back there the other day. So I know the row that you can't read the words anymore. So uh, now there is no getting out of the Bible. So everyone needs a Bible in their hand today. Amen. How else are you going to know if I'm lying to you if you don't read the Bible for yourself, right? We all need the word for ourselves, right? We can't just eat when I stand up here and talk for 40 minutes at a time. We all need the word of God for ourselves. So we're going to open up to Lamentations chapter 4 right after the prophet Jeremiah where he makes us look at the descent into ruin of a people, of his people, of God's people. As we look at the holy city of Jerusalem 
Zion, as it will be referred to in here as well, in the southern kingdom of Judah, where he is lamenting this ruin, lamenting the loss of order, lamenting the loss of everything good. And we're going to look at uh, kind of a street level, right? It's almost going to be like those B-rolls of when the camera comes into somebody's house and you're going to see exactly what has happened in their life. We're going to see this of the people. We're going to then look at the spiritual leaders of Judah and see how they have descended into ruin, the people themselves, and then the spiritual spiritual leaders and consequentially the people because of the spiritual leaders. So uh, it's going to be pretty uncomfortable for about 15 minutes. Just say amen. amen. Okay. But we have to look at the Bible. We can't just skip over the bad parts and get to the good parts. The entirety of scripture is important for all of us. So as we see this descent into ruin happening, we're going to do this in three points. And the first point is that precious people become Worthless. Verses 1 through 10 of Lamentations chapter 4. Read along with me. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. Even jackals offer the breasts, they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment. No hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by the lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their children. They've become their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. So if you've been tracking with us through this series, it's called Good Morning. Good meaning right, wise, and needed. Morning meaning we have to get into us the biblical, spiritual discipline of biblical lament. Real biblical lament of what it means to lament. That God wants to hear your cries. God wants to hear even your complaints that we see throughout the book of Lamentations. That there is a turn to God. There is a complaint to God. There is an ask for help from God. And then ultimately there is a trust in worship of God, that my circumstances will not define my worship. So as we've continued in this series, again, it's been hard. It's been very difficult for Jeremiah, who I believe to be the, the, the poet who is the prophet and the writer of the book of Lamentations. And the book of Lamentations in Hebrew isn't even called Lamentations. It is a very short Hebrew word, and it is ech. Ech is the name of the book, and it's how chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5 start. The same word, the word that means, how could this be? How could this have happened to me? What has happened in my life? What has happened in my hometown? What has happened to my people? There is this, this uh, depth of emotion that is tied to this word. And this is how the book of Lamentations started when Jeremiah says, how lonely sits the city that was once full of people. And then he brings us right back to there saying, how the gold has grown dim. 
how the pure gold is changed. That which was shining is now no longer shining. That which is valuable is now no longer valuable. At first, I believe he's talking about the stones, as he mentioned here, that were scattered from the temple in Jerusalem. The temple had been desecrated and ransacked and torn down. And these stones of the temple that were inlaid and encrusted with jewels and golds are now mired by the dirt of the street. That the temple, which was once the heart of spiritual worship for the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, the holy city of Zion, you're going to see those interchangeable with Judah, the southern kingdom in here as well. They all mean the same thing, except at this point, Israel's the, the northern kingdom, Judah's the southern kingdom. They've been separated. Jerusalem lies in the southern kingdom. And you see this heartbreaking tearing down of the identity of the people. Now, God said to the people of Israel and the people of Judah that I will be your God and you will be my people. And the spiritual worship of God in the temple was deeply intertwined to the identity of the people, not unlike us, right? When someone asks you, who are you? Your first response is, I am a child and a slave of Jesus Christ, right? That's our first response. That's our top line identifier, right? That's how we're supposed to move forward here. But other things can identify us as well, too. You know, I think of this heartbreaking story, this heartbreaking imagery, and I think many of us have seen this before. You know, I think of when I go on a walk in my neighborhood and I see an entire house turned inside out on the front lawn. Maybe they've been evicted, maybe they're dumping, maybe they're just moving, maybe something needed to happen. But all the belongings of someone thrown out of their home and they are left to feel naked and bare. My whole, uh, ident uh, my whole identity based on material things is out in the open. I think about in my own life a couple years back, we used to live a little bit further away from the church, so being absent from our home and present at the church was a bit of a longer day, 10, 12 hours most Sundays. And we came back to our house, and the front door was open. And I was like, oh, okay. So I told my kids, my wife, stay in the car, and stuff was everywhere. Our home had been broken into. All the clothes were torn out. Everything was just torn upside down, right? And, you know, they stole a couple computers, some money, and, like, a $9 essential oil diffuser from Target. It's like... <laughs> Is this really where the worth and value is? More than, you know, I was grateful it happened while we weren't home. Uh, more than anything, I was angry because the house had just been cleaned, so I have to clean it all up again. But I walked in, I felt violated. I felt like I had been, like, seen naked because somebody had torn all these things down. That's exactly what the prophet Jeremiah is lamenting in chapter 4. He's saying that the, the items of spiritual worship and the people themselves are no longer quite so sacred. A precious people has become worthless, cast into the streets. The precious sons of Zion, formerly worth their weight in gold, are now nothing more than clay pots, now nothing more than an earthen vessel, that they don't have their value anymore. And Jeremiah is going to continue to go deeper into the street level understanding of what happened. In verses three and four, he's picking up into the famine. Famine is a huge part of chapters four and five, specifically in verses three and four of chapter four. And he starts talking about jackals and ostriches. And you may wonder, why is he talking about these animals? What do they have to do with any, anything? Jackals and ostriches are often used as a pair in scripture. In Isaiah, in Job, we see it here in Lamentations. But they signify a place of wilderness. They signify, signify a place of undivided domestication. They signify animals that just don't possess uh, the, the good and godly characteristics that we want things to possess. So jackals are, are listed here as even the jackals, this despised animal is nursing their young 
They are nursing their babies while the women of Judah aren't, while their children are starving to death, while an infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst, perhaps so dehydrated it can't cry anymore, likening them to ostriches. Ostriches are known to leave their eggs in the wild and just leave. They've left their children. They've abandoned their children. Because of the siege warfare that Jerusalem is in, they have descended into ruin. And Jeremiah is talking about the difficulty of this, how hard this is, how painful this is. Some of us, probably all of us have seen, whether firsthand, secondhand, or thirdhand, the effects of starvation on a child. Whether you've seen it on a TV commercial, whether you've seen it on a mission trip, whether you've seen it in your own life, or your own children, or you yourself, you know it's terrible. You know it's horrifying. You know that the imagery is not something we ever want to think about. So this is why Jeremiah is telling us about it and why God has allowed this to be canonized in Scripture because we need to know about this. We need to know the depth of the pain because if we do not lament the depth of the pain, you're only going to get surface-level healing anyway. If you can't lament all of it out, we're only dealing with what's on the surface. And y'all know what that's, what that's like. Like you can put up with somebody for a minute, but then when it's not all the way healed or forgiven, you'll snap real quick, right? Jeremiah continues cataloging this riches to rags story when he says that people who were raised in purple, purple was a fine dye, a dye that was used only by people who had wealth. So society's elite wore purple, but they're now embracing ash heaps, which are the clothing of the mourning and the weeping. People that were used to once eating delicacies are now dying of poverty in the street. He says in verse 6 that Sodom had it better than Jerusalem did. Sodom and Gomorrah are often the apex of godlessness for us when we think about the Old Testament, when you think of God debating with a man, is there going to be one righteous person, five righteous people, ten righteous people, there were none, and God destroyed the entire city, and he said Sodom had it better than Jerusalem because it was instant. He continues on, verse 7 and 8, talks about the transformation of their bodies. Their skin is as dry as wood. Their skin is shriveled. They're not colored the way they used to be anymore. They have soot and ash on their body. And then somehow he gets to verse 9. And he uses the word, what's verse 9 start with? Who's got their Bible open? Come on. Happier? This doesn't sound very happy, does it? This doesn't sound like a happy crisis. The word is actually good, translated here to happy, saying it would have been better for you to die immediately than to go through this. It would have been better for the Lord to smite you with sulfurous fire like he did Sodom and Gomorrah or for you to die by the sword from the Babylonian armies under the control of King Nebuchadnezzar than it would have been to go through this. Do you see the descent into ruin? Do you see the depth of depravity and pain? And the word, again, the book is called Ech. How could this happen? Why God? Jeremiah is inviting us into this deep lament of how a precious people have become worthless. Israel has drinking the fullness of the cup of God's wrath. And you need to catch why. Why did this happen? Why did they suffer and languish? Because they rejected God's protection for years. Because they were prophesied throughout the entire book of Jeremiah. Stop. Don't do it like this. Shape up. Turn around, turn back to God. They rejected Jeremiah 
And now they are receiving the full vent of God's wrath. We see what happens to the people. And Jeremiah leads us on in verses 11 through 16 of chapter 4 of Lamentations, bringing us to our second point. First point is that precious people become worthless. The second point is that idolatrous leaders lose God's protection. Idolatrous leaders lose God's protection. So it's not just the people. It's the leaders as well. And it's because of the leaders that the people are in the position that they are in. Let's read verses 11 through. 16 of chapter 4. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Why? This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away! Unclean! People cried at them. Away! Away! Do not touch! So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests. No favor was shown to the elders. So we see what's happened to the people up close and personal. Now we see why this is happening to the leaders. Psalm 48 talks about uh, Zion, Jerusalem, the holy city, God's city, being an impregnable place that no one could get in. So that's how Jeremiah starts off saying, like, no one would have believed that any army could have come into Jerusalem. No enemy or foe could have ever broken through the gate. And we know that it is not an enemy or foe who has broken through the gate, even though people may be quick to blame the Babylonians for this why does it say this is happening it says because the Lord gave full vent to his wrath he just so happened to use the Babylonian army as a tool in his hand but this is the Lord's doing and this should cause some dissonance for us how can a God who's good and loves me allow this to happen to me how can a God who is my God and I'm his people allow something like this to happen that answer we see immediately in verse 13. The sins of the prophets, the sins of the priests. The prophets were supposed to be people that heard God's voice and heeded what they were supposed to do. They didn't. They were wandering blind is what it says in verse 14. They didn't hear the voice of God. They didn't see the vision of God. The priests in this time of worship were supposed to be the people interceding for the defilement of the nation. That they were the ones who would go to church and go to the temple and make sacrifices to ask for forgiveness from the sins of the nation, from God. But the priests themselves are defiled. So the people are defiled, the prophets are defiled, the priests are defiled, the priests have been found morally and ritually impure, which we won't get too deep into that. I'll leave that to you. You can read the book of Leviticus if you want to know about moral and ritual impurity, uh, but it has a lot to do with bodily functions and touching a corpse and blood and idolatry and all these things. And the word says that the priests have shed the blood of the righteous in the midst of the holy city, so much so that their garments have been unclean and everyone says, Get away from me. But that's not even the sad part. The sad part comes in verse 16. And yes, it, it seems pretty hard here, right? It seems like they're really going through a tough time. It seems like there's no way out of this. It seems like why on earth would God allow something like this to happen to his people? 
Verse 16, the Lord himself has scattered them. And he will regard or think of or remember or honor them no more. No honor was shown to the priests. No favor was shown to the elders. For 40 years, through the prophet Jeremiah, God warned prophets. He warned priests. He warned elders. But they turned against Jeremiah. And now, consequentially, from that turning against Jeremiah, God has turned against them. Now, I know this isn't uh, a happy-go-lucky Father's Day message for a lot of people to stand up and shout amen and hallelujah. But fathers, you get this. You understand what this is like. How many dads in here want to hurt their kids? Zero. How many dads in here have sternly disciplined your children? Why? Because I love them. Because I don't want them to continue to fall into things that are going to kill them. So God, for 40 years, sent Jeremiah and said, stop, turn away, come back, don't do this, it's going to hurt, it's going to be bad, you should listen to me now. And they didn't. So God said, I have to teach you through discipline. The love of a father is shown by the discipline of his children. We see this throughout scripture. You can look at Hebrews 12. You can look throughout the Proverbs. You can see all these things of how a loving father disciplines and chastises his children and those whom he loves. This is how God the Father is dealing with them right now. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's harsh. Yes, it may even cause you to question God's character. And that's good. Do that. That's why we're in this series of Lamentations, because so many people don't have a place to take this stuff. So many people have questions and doubts and problems and don't feel like you can actually take it to God. What better place could you take it to? Somebody showed me a, a, a video of theology. I'm hesitant to call it that. Theology from TikTok. And I was like, you have like theology followed by softcore pornography. Like, is this really where you want to get your theology from? Now, there's good and godly things everywhere, right? We, I'm, not, I'm not hating on social media. But this is where our freedom comes from, friends. This isn't where we, and I've said this every week, this isn't where we become better criers or better journalers or, uh, you know, pray better prayers. Those are all good things. But ultimately, we have to get to God. Prayer in and of itself is nothing. Prayer gets you to God. Devotions in and of themselves are nothing. Devotion gets you to God. God doesn't care about my Bible study unless it's getting me to him. Because that's what I need. That's what we all need. So in this, as we study Lamentations, God isn't saying like, oh, I just want you to be more upset. You need to cry like Jeremiah did. You need to complain like Jeremiah did. No, he's saying, I want you to come to me. Whatever it is, no matter how angry you are, no matter how upset you are, come to me. Bring your pain to me. Bring your complaint to me. I'm not like your petty friends that are going to say, oh, quit killing my vibe. No, God wants all of it. All of you, no matter what it is. Even if you think he's the one who's caused the pain and the affliction, bring it to him. Because this is exactly the model we have to learn. Biblical lament. Because I know that I know that I know that there are a number of people in here, and I'm not looking at anybody, I'm just playing the odds, that have things deep inside of you that have never been healed. I know it. I've been alive long enough and I've been pastoring long enough for one day 
to know that there's stuff in all of our lives that we have not received biblical healing from. This is what Lamentations is for, to grieve it all the way out, right? And again, we, I use this illustration in week number one. How many of you, maybe not by a show of hands, just laugh. How many of you like got whoopings when you were kids? Don't raise your hand, it's okay. Some people are still doing it anyway. But after you got that whooping and you cried it all the way out, there was no better nap on earth. You woke up and you're like, huh, I feel refreshed. I feel pretty good. Now, I'm not advocating for that. It's simply an illustration. To lament that out all the way. Ugly cry in your bed for 20 minutes if you need to. But say, God, I need you. And if you go there with him, watch what he'll do with you. So we see, yeah, you can give God praise. So we see this descent into ruin. The people have descended into ruin. The prophets and priests and elders have descended into ruin. Spiritual leadership descended into ruin. So it's only a matter of time before the people descend into ruin right after their spiritual leadership descends into ruin. Can it get any worse? Could it possibly get worse for the people? And as we are uncomfortably diving deeper into this descent into ruin, you're, you may be wondering, like, how much worse could the rags get? We're looking at riches to rags. How much dirtier can they get? How, what, what can possibly happen? And he carries on a little bit more as he looks a little bit more deeply. But then we come to something that is so sweet. The last verse in chapter 4. And that's really the, the point of, of point 3. Is at the end comes with a ray of hope. That yes, this is awful. Yes, warfare and siege and rape and murder and cannibalism and famine and all the things that come out in the book of Lamentations. There's a hope at the end. Let's read verses 17 through 22. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save us. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered. Our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. You who dwell in the land of Uz, but to you also this cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. And here's the hope. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. So the end comes with a ray of hope, even after Judah says, we looked for someone to help us, but no one could and no one did because they weren't coming to fight against the Babylonians. They would have been fighting against the hand of God. God is releasing the full vent of his anger because he needs to teach them and love them. And then we see in verse 20, now we've been mostly looking at the poetry of Lamentations, right? Uh, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are all acrostics, which mean that each stanza or each verse is a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So for us, it would go A, B, C, D, E, F. That's how Jeremiah did it in the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 3 was a triplet acrostic, so it went A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. We see this beautiful poetry that the Holy Spirit of the living God writes through the prophet Jeremiah, but we haven't looked much at 
at the historical account of this as well. In 2 Kings chapter 24, 5, and 6, you see a historical account of this, a chronicling of what's happening. And that's what verse 20 is all about, where they say, the breath of our nostrils, the air of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed is King Zedekiah more than likely. Like he was king reigning over this time. And they said, under his shadow, we hope to be free from this. Under his shadow, as the Lord's anointed, God set him as king over us, so we hope that we would be protected from this. We hope that we would be free from this. But it goes to show you that you cannot put a, your, all your hope in, the, in a man, amen? You can only put your hope in the name of the Lord our God. So we see this in 2 Kings 24, 5, and 6. We actually see uh, a historical context in Kings, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. You see it in Jeremiah as well. How we got to this point, Lamentation is right in the middle of the mess. And then as we move out, the prophet Isaiah begins to prophesy against some of the most pointed laments that Jeremiah makes, saying, yes, this has happened, but here's what's going to happen because of that. I want to just read a couple of these things, a couple of these ways that God's affliction will never last forever. So in Isaiah chapter 40 through 55 or so, you see, again, uh, prophecy that is directed at the depth of pain that Jerusalem Zion, Judah, Jeremiah himself have been afflicted by. And you see how this gets turned around. So God will not afflict forever, but he does have to let the full vent of his wrath out. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the full vent of his wrath. Everyone say full vent of his wrath. Let's, I know it's a little warm in here. I know it's Father's Day, but let's, let's say that just a little bit louder, okay? Full vent of his wrath. There we go. Don't hang up on me just yet. I know it hasn't been a whole lot of fun, but don't worry. We're going to get there. It's going to be great. In Lamentations, Lady Zion, the first verse of this book, we know it says that how lonely sits the city that was once full of people. She has no one to comfort her. Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Lady Zion continues to mourn, right? We've just been looking at a terrible famine that has caused children to die. And then in chapter 49 in the book of Isaiah, the children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, the place is too narrow for me, make room for me to dwell in. So that even though children are dying because of siege, warfare, and famine, in Isaiah, a prophecy comes back to the nation of Israel saying, yes, you are afflicted for a season, but you're going to have so many children that there's going to be a need for more space. That yes, this affliction has come, and it is because of the consequence of your sin and the sin of your prophets and your priests, but I will not afflict forever, and I will renew this. In Lamentations, the watchmen lament on the wall saying no one is coming to help us. And then in Isaiah 52, we hear the voice of your watchmen. They lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of Yahweh to Zion. They see God coming back to the city because his affliction had been poured out and his full vent of wrath and anger had been poured out 
but then there is a ray of hope that comes. This is merely a sampling of all the ways God will restore all the things that have been taken away by sin, right? As we look at this in the Old Testament, we see how God says, I will lavish my grace upon you. I will lavish upon you a correction for everything that seemed to come to an end. And Judah thought that their life was ending. The only thing that was going to end, according to the book of Lamentations, was her affliction, that the punishment is over, that she can now rejoice because it is all done. And in exile, there would be a glorious return for Israel. That we know that if we continue to read on in the scriptures, that there is restoration, there is redemption. We watch God be a man of his word. If God did not punish sin, he would not be holy. If God did not punish sin, he would not be holy. And we have to understand that in the depth of our heart. Because God, he was in covenant with Israel and he'll never rescind a covenant. If he made a promise, it is going to happen and you can count on that. He says, I'm going to visit sin and iniquity to the third and fourth generations. And what did he do? He visited sin and iniquity to third and fourth generations. But if we continue to read on, we see that the steadfast love of the Lord is extended to the thousands of generations. That yes, there's going to be pain. Yes, there's going to be punishment of sin. But his love steadfastly extends to thousands of generations. So church today, as we have looked at the plight of Judah thousands of years ago, as we have looked at this uncomfortable thing that we've been cataloging through week after week, we have to learn something today. We today at June 20th, Father's Day, 2021, we must learn something today from this. And, and our big idea for today is this, simply. Without God, people perish. It doesn't matter how nice your life is. It doesn't matter what kind of stuff you have or toys you have or how good your family is. Without God, people perish. There's a warning for all of us in this lament as well. That this is the learning, now we have to get to, the, to the, the, the warning. We all love rags to riches stories. Every single one of you in this room, up under the sound of my voice, and on Facebook, that is in Christ, you are rich. You are unbelievably rich, incalculably rich. But please, don't turn your story into a riches to rag story by departing from God because you will descend into ruin. Now, I personally believe that uh, if Jesus Christ has saved me, there's nothing I can do to stop that, but the consequences of my sin might be painful. Precious people become worthless. Idolatrous leaders lose God's protection. Without God, people perish. And very quickly, church, we can go from living by faith to living by sight, experience, intellect, and human wisdom. And that will cause a descent into ruin. There will be consequence from our sin of turning away from God. And I'm not going to ask anybody, but I'm sure at least one person in here can testify that I knew God, but then I backslid and he caught me. And he brought me back. Hallelujah. Jeremiah says how the gold has grown dim, how the precious gold has changed. But what is, of worth, what is worth more value than gold, friends? Faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. But how painfully easy it can be to walk away from that. And we starve without faith. As Jeremiah is talking about a famine in the land, yes, that he is talking about a famine from food. He's talking about that. And we see that happening, that the fruits of their field are no longer there to feed them. 
but ultimately they didn't get to a famine in the land because they weren't faithful planting. They got to a famine in the land because they stopped eating the word of God, because they stopped feasting on the thing that would really keep them satisfied. Israel went into a famine because they stopped being hungry for the word of God. And that can happen to our church as well. So we have to continue to feast on the word of God often and together. You got to come together at 9.30 and 11.30 every single Sunday to feast on the word of God. You got to come on Wednesday at 6 p.m. to feast on the word of God. You got to be in Bible studies. You got to be in classes to feast on the word of God. You have to be in a life group to feast on the word of God because that's the worst kind of famine that your life will ever undergo, right? We've been hungry in our bodies before, but when you're hungry in your soul, no amount of food is going to fix that. So for all of us, each and every one of us, the church that you go to is not perfect. You can give a big old amen to that. Trust me, I know. And we never will be because we're filled with us. But we will never, ever stop eating and feasting and feeding the living word of God. That we may not have great programs, but we will have the word of God at all times. Because I'm not going to let us fall into that kind of famine. That we can't do that. And it's not just about programs and worship services and life groups and classes and Bible studies. If you're not eating the word for yourself, you're going to die. Bottom line. If you show up to get fed two times a week for 30 minutes at a time, you will die. Bottom line. Don't die in isolation, church. I've had far too many conversations just in the last 10 days of people going through a terrible time in their life. And I say, who's praying for you? They're like, I don't know. I'm like, ruin always follows isolation. If you find yourself by yourself, you need to take caution. You need to say, why am I not in a life group? Why do I not have at least one brother who's going to pray for me? Why do I not have at least a group of sisters in a women's Bible study on Monday nights at 645 or Bible study here at 6 p.m. on Wednesdays, right? We don't do this because we love our programs. We do this because we love you (laughs) because you need to be in spiritual family on mission, each and every single one of us. And this lament teaches us things. It also gives us a certain urgency. There is an urgency that each and every one of us need to heed. We talked about it a little bit last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul talks about the God of this age blinding unbelievers, that they cannot see the glory of the light of Jesus Christ, the gospel of glory, who is the image of God, that all around us, like the priests, prophets, and elders of Judah, there are people wandering blind and aimless. There are people wandering around from this job to that event, from this trip to that next shot at happiness, to buying clothes and eating delicacies, prolonging the inevitable that without God, you will only get ruined. That without God, no matter how good your life looks, no matter what's going on, without Christ in your life, it will only lead to bitterness and emptiness. Now, there is good news to that bad news. The bad news is that, uh, that the God of this world can blind people, can blind unbelievers. The good news is that his light is never going to be any light, any brighter than the light of the world. That the light of our God who illuminates true faith in Jesus Christ, in the believer, that's what causes people to come alive in Christ. And as we look at this series, 
series on Lamentations as we work through this suffering. And if you feel any sadness or empathy for Judah for what they're going through here, how much more should we feel for our brother and our sister sitting right next to us? How much more should we feel for the world that is around us suffering right now? That if this leads us anywhere, it should lead us into deeper love for the brothers and sisters that are in Christ. It should lead us into deeper love for everyone around us. Now, I know many of you would be really kind and do a lot of nice things for your blood brother or your, bro- your blood sister. Would you care for the person sitting next to you? If they're in Christ, we have no separation of calling. And I know that's not a lot of fun to say amen to. I know you feel like you need to say amen to that. I don't really care about, like I bring my own amens and hallelujahs every single Sunday. We need to do it, friends. All of us, we need to do it. We need to live it out. We need to look at this and find our brothers and sisters that are hurting and weeping and mourning and undertake the biblical call from Paul to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. That's what we looked at last week. But you also have freedom. You have a biblical spiritual discipline of how to freely lament of all the pain that you have ever gone through and all the pain that you are going through. You can get freedom from these things. And we can't look at everybody in the world who's going through a riches to rag story and say, well, you reap what you sow. You got what you deserved. No, that is not what, where biblical lament will take us. That is not what a heart that is fixed on Christ will take us. If you're in Christ, you need to hear this, okay? If you're in Christ, you got to hear this. Hebrews 13, 3 says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. If we are truly in the body of Christ, then you are also in prison with your brother or your sister. If you are truly in the body of Christ, when there is affliction to another one of our body members, we're supposed to say, ouch, that hurts me too. When there is oppression happening or mistreatment happening to our brothers and sisters who are in Christ, if you are in the body of Christ, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. It is our responsibility to be with our brothers and sisters, to lament with our brothers and sisters. And I know this is hard. I know this is painful. I know this sermon series isn't the easiest thing for us to hear, but there is a great comfort in this passage. There is a deep, deep comfort found in this passage that, yes, there is a new beginning coming for Judah. We see that. We see it prophesied in Isaiah. We know it comes. Israel returns to the Lord, and they are restored back into their promised land. We see these things happen. We know it happens Uh, But they're looking for the same thing that we were looking for that happened 2,000 years ago. The same thing that we were looking for is a hope, a real hope. They were looking to the Father in heaven to send his son, the Messiah, to take all the iniquity of God's people upon himself. I told you we were going to get back to the full vent of God's wrath. The full vent of God's wrath was poured out right here. The full vent of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ who took all the iniquity of all humanity for the rest of time so that you can repent from your sin, confess with your mouth that he died and God raised him from the dead in three days and you will be saved because the wrath that was reserved for you, the hell upon hell that was reserved for you, Christ took in your place. So we will never descend all the way into ruin. We may have consequences for our sin. Actually, let me recant that. I promise you, you'll have consequences for your sin. But the full wrath was poured out on Jesus 
who has somewhat of a riches to rag story himself, doesn't he? That as he sat at the right hand of the throne of God, came down into this sin-torn place called earth with these sin-torn people, which is us, and said, I love you and I want you. And I'm going to take the full vent of my father's anger and I'm going to take it upon myself. I'm going to descend into ruin. I'm going to go hungry. I'm going to go alone. I'm going to be despised so that you can be full, so that you can be welcomed into God's family, so that you can be filled with the presence of of God through the, the Holy Spirit of the living God and the favor of God on your life. So family, we can grow in the word and we can grow in gratitude and commitment because Jesus took the full vent of God's wrath and God's anger and we can say, thank you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I want you because I can't do it on my own. If you're a child, there is no better present to give your father on Father's Day than to tell him you talked with the real father. No matter where you're at, Talk with the real father of heaven. I promise you your dad will be happy with that present. And there's an amazing promise that we will never go into exile. We're already in exile. Did you know that? Did y'all know that? That we actually live in exile? So many times people are like, well, this is a Christian nation. No, it is not. There are none of them on this earth. There are Christians. We live in exile right now, but God will never lead us into exile again. Why? Because Jesus is our king, priest, and prophet. Because he will never defile his people ever again. Now you can turn from him and you can deal with the consequences of your sin. But if you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, he will never defile you as he has never defiled himself because he is holy, innocent, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And what did he come to do? Simply, very, very simply. He came to proclaim freedom to captives. This whole sermon series has been about freedom from our pain, our hurts, whatever it is, working through biblical lament. And as we are on the, the heels yesterday, right, there's a federal holiday called June, Juneteenth that is about one thing, proclamation of freedom. That's it. Now, we can get all up in arms as if we want to argue, and I'm happy to argue with anyone in my office Monday through Friday. I am on vacation this week, though. God bless you. Um, but it was simple. There was an emancipation proclamation given, and then it went into, it was in September, it went into effect, it went into effect in January, and then two years later, the final place where slavery was still happening in Texas, uh, General, Major General Gordon Granger went to Galveston, Texas, and said, freedom. So all that is, very, very simply, we don't need a federal holiday, you don't need Flag Day, Independence Day, uh, Juneteenth, Father's Day, Mother's Day. Jesus Christ is here right now and is saying, freedom to you. He is offering you freedom today, right now. And he is saying, are you in captivity? Come get free. Do you have shackles on your wrists and fetters on your ankle of the weight of sin that is bringing you down and killing you? If so, repent and come on. Freedom is available to you. So for whatever anyone in here is struggling with, whatever is hurting you, whatever has got you down, whatever that thing is that happened in uh, March or that thing that happened in 1985, freedom 
is available and his name is Jesus Christ. And I love that Jesus Christ is our elder brother and we have a good, good father who sent his son, our savior, to grant us freedom from captivity and to show us the way to go that we would never be brought into exile again. So I wanna invite you to stand to your feet. We are gonna proclaim some freedom today, amen? We are going to shout freedom at our sin today, amen? We are gonna shout the name of Jesus as we worship together with a very familiar song called Good, Good Father. That on this Father's Day, I want us to give praise, glory, and honor to our Father in heaven who is, was, and always will be good, chiefly in the sending of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So whatever it is that you feel in captivity about today, go to Christ for freedom. Knowing that a precious people can become worthless if they walk away from God. Knowing that idolatrous leaders can lose God's protection. But also knowing the end always comes with a ray of hope. And without God, it doesn't matter how good your life looks. Without God, people perish. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for how much you love us, how much you care for us, that you are indeed a good, good father. And in the matchless name, the miraculous name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, of our liberator, Jesus Christ, of the only one who could ever set us free, Jesus Christ, of the one who is standing still, undefeated in heaven, interceding for us, fighting our battles for us. He is not some tiny little baby in a manger. He is Christ, eyes like flame of fire, hair white like wool, face shining like the sun, a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, feet like burnished bronze, a voice like raging waters, fighting your battles for you. There is nothing standing against Jesus that will remain standing when he fights that battle. So tag him in, let him fight that battle, as we realize that without God, people perish. May we never perish because of the name Jesus Christ. Together we say amen and amen. Amen. Let's give God a shout of praise. Give him a hand clap and hallelujah. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.